Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to us by our regular sponsors, 420 Australia and OGS. This episode is a little different to normal. We'll be going over some details for the Next Gen Counter Cup, as well as some Australia-related issues in general. My apologies to our international friends if this episode is not as interesting to them. So stay tuned, and we hope you enjoy. Cool. Well, let's let's talk about, to get it out of the way, let's talk about what inspired the, the Next Gen Canna Cup and, and kind of how long it's been in the works. So in terms of how long it's been in the works, uh, we've been thinking about it for probably about the best part of six months. Mm-hmm. The the reason was simple. It was it all started with the idea of like, well, how can we progress the scene? Yep. From our end, at least as growers, it, the idea was simple. It was like the biggest problem I have is like I see lots of people putting like their hard uh, resources and time into growing things, and they're just not growing good genetics, in my opinion. And so, yep. you know, you could really just not have to put any more effort in and just get a substantially better product just by changing the genetics. You know, so I try to stress that to people, but people often get very um, kind of attached to their choice in genetics. And I understand why it's because like, you know, before you ever buy seeds, you do a little bit of research and you kind of decide the ones you want. You're like, yeah, that's the right choice. And so for someone to come along and be like, no, that's wrong. I understand you're going to get defensive at that. Yeah, for sure. There's a bit of ego there. Yeah. So like, so what we thought was, well, like, how can we get just genetics into the hands of people and, and not be like ramming it down their throats? Mm. Um, and so we thought, yeah, well, like, we we want to have a cup, but, like, truth be told, if there weren't any prizes, it just wouldn't be worth doing because, like, I really don't care to know who grows the best weed in Australia. Like, that's really, a, like, a peripheral part of it to me. The, yeah. The, the major part of it to me is, yeah, like, the prizes afterwards and being able to grow the community. And so we thought, yeah, the prizes as well as just the cup itself. Yeah. So we basically decided yeah we need to get some prizes sorted which we've been in the process of doing for a while now and thankfully we've had a lot of support from a a lot of like international breeders um as well as even some australian people kicking in some prizes which will be cool and um and yeah basically we want to be able to reward the people who enter but more importantly we wanted an avenue to be able to let everyone get involved you know like just even the casual punter so that was why we thought the majority of the prizes will be auctioned off and just anyone can bid on those so even if you haven't entered a sample you might be thinking about getting into it we're going to you know provide an opportunity to get some really good quality genetics and they'll they'll be domestic so it'll already be here so like you don't have to worry about postage or anything like that which is another big thing about why people don't order tons of seeds because you know it's kind of like running the gauntlet each time you have to go through customers Yep. So, overall, we think it's going to be an awesome opportunity. And, hey, even if, like, you're just a smoker, there'll be half Ozzes of each entry up for auctions. Those top entries, like, you know, say one through to five will be, by definition, really friggin' good smoke. So, lots of people will be trying to get those. So, there seems like there's something for everyone, and we're trying to make it that way, as well as making it overall a a charity, which each year will pick a cause, and that just seems to sweeten the deal even more. Yeah, and I think that's a great idea. I mean, I know there's been some some mixed reactions from the community in like where the the charity chosen this year. Um, and look, I, I can understand how it might rub some people the wrong way, but ultimately, I think like if 
if you're going to put on a, a cup of any sort, um, you, you kind of can model it any way you want to and people will choose to enter it or not. And what you do at the end of the day, you put it all in your own pocket, you put it all into a project, you put it all into whatever, it's kind of ultimately that person's decision. Yeah, I mean, the idea of saying that like someone is more worthy of charity than someone else doesn't really sit with yeah. me. Um, not and, what charity's about. Yeah, that's not what it's about. It's about helping out. And it, and the other yeah. thing is, you know, there'll always be someone who will believe that someone else is a better cause, you know. So we don't yeah. even want to get into that. And we already just said that there was some serious um, logistical reasons as to why we picked Mad Farmer because he really kindly offered to throw in a ton of prizes to the point where basically most people who enter will get a prize regardless of where they place. And yeah. so, just that that in itself made the cup feasibly, sorry, excuse me, feasibly possible. And yeah. So, and uh, look, uh, it's a sad thing that you kind of even have to justify it. But I, I just wanted to to bring it up so that it could be out there for everyone to know that it's it's there's no you know it's a good thing. Yeah, and I mean we could we could run the cup with no charity component, but like that's exactly, horrible. and that's kind of the undertone people take with that. It's like, well, would you yeah. rather we don't do this? Hmm. Yeah, so honestly, that 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 only popped up for like a day or two after the initial announcement, and then very quickly people kind of understood that like, yeah, charity's charity. Like, you can't helping someone is yeah. helping someone at the end of the day. Exactly. Awesome. And do you want do you want to give a quick breakdown? Because I know you're gonna have a you're gonna have two you're gonna have concentrates and you're gonna have flowers. So give a breakdown of how you would submit an entry and where to get in touch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so hopefully by the end of this week we will have an, a, a set date for when entries can be accepted. Yep. The The rules state that the judges can only test one sample per day and I'm not sure if other comps have that rule but we feel that's like one of the most important rules there is. And yeah, so, I, sorry, go I've ahead. spoken to people who've judged at you know, cannabis events around the world and stuff like that and I know that is a big problem in factoring the scoring. It's like once you've tried one or two strains within a day, by the time you get to five or six, how can you? What real determinations can you be making apart from perhaps taste? Um, so yeah, I think that's a that's a really cool thing that you guys are doing there. Yeah, and so as a result of that, when we kind of got an indication that there was a lot of people interested, we knew that we had to pull the entry date back because uh, there'll only be you know so many days in between when entries need to be accepted before we announce the results. So. As a result yep. of that, there'll only be so many applicants. At the moment, I think we've got like room for 25 or 30 in each category, which, yep. to be honest, we've received indication that like we could get to those numbers. So if there's even more That's people great. kind of sitting on the fence, then who knows? They, they may either miss out or we might have to pull the entry date a little bit back more. But we don't really want to do that because the whole idea was that where it's set now, I mean, one, you know, it's like, you know, kind of the stoner pop culture. It's on 710. Um, yeah. More so than that, it, it was like about six months from when we announced it. So it was like you've still got Plenty time to pop whatever you want, you know. So like no one can complain that they weren't given enough notice basically. Yeah. So yeah, if we keep pulling the date back further and further, then that wouldn't be the case. So we're not going to do that. But yeah, the rules will be uh, in terms of the categories, there will be two yep. categories, as you said, flower and concentrate. Um, we could potentially split it further this year but into, say, indica and sativa categories and possibly solventless versus solvent-based. 
However, yep. we'd have to then double the prizes as we would now have, you know, instead of just two first places, two second places, two third places, yeah. et cetera, we'd now have four of each. And yep. we would also further have to double the amount of time taken to test or get more judges <laughs> on board, which would yep. then result in people having to submit more weed at the entry. And we just didn't want to have to go down all that route. So yeah, for this year, we're just keeping it re- restricted in a sense. And the reason for that is because, and this is kind of the big announcement, which I don't know if I've really told everyone, is that we're, the whole point of this is because next year we're going to have a physical event. We would have liked to have had a physical event this year, but yep. given that it's the first year, there would be no guarantee that people would make the effort to come from places far and wide. Like you might get a uh-huh. local turnout, but... So, so the idea was let's do it online for the first year, make it really yep. successful, and then ensure that people will make the effort to come to a physical event next year, which we've already yeah, that's awesome. site, look, uh, secured. Cool. Yeah, well, I look forward to hearing more and more about that. Yeah, and so basically, uh, just to summarize, we want the people who are submitting it to be the people who have produced the flower or made the concentrate. And if, if you're not the grower of the material for the concentrate, we want you to be able to give us all the same details we would require if you were so you, you know you basically need to know the person and be able to get yep. this information off them yeah um and there's a few basic bits of information we want to know we want to know you know the, the genetics uh the whether it's being grown organically or synthetically and yep. finally a few other little bits of information just relating to the the grower and identification and stuff like that Basically, the way you will enter is really simple. You let us know that you want to enter and you go to the GoFundMe, which will be set up very soon. That yep. will not be in our control. That'll be in Mad Farmer's control. So we won't see any of the money from that. We won't see any of the money from this ever. And yep. so once you pay that, it's, it's visible on the site, but he'll also let us know. And we'll yep. send out a package to the contestant um, filled with both instructions and as well as mylar bags and it'll have it'll tell you how much to put in each bag how to zip it all up as well as a return bag yep. and an uh, sorry and an address and so yep. you, basically it's pretty easy to submit your sample you know like there's an instruction sheet literally and for sure so, and so yeah you just go from there you submit it in and we have a final date for receiving it and so this was a point i wanted to stress that date is not the date you have to get it in the mailbox. That's the date we have to receive it by because that's yeah, right. when testing starts. Cool. And what's that date again? I believe the date is the 10th of September. Awesome. Yeah, so that, that leaves room for about you know between 25 and 28 um, contestants, I think. But the other big thing to note is um, because it's online this year, it was really paramount that the judging be 100% transparent. Otherwise, uh-huh. there's just no point you know, even entering if you don't have faith in the judging. And so yep. essentially, all entries will be uploaded, you know, high-quality photos along with the scorecards. And so you, know, like you, can, you, you can literally cross-compare. You know, like if you think something's got awesome bag appeal, and then you yep. check the scorecard and it's marked one, like it'll, it'll be obvious to see that something dodgy is going on, you know? So it's yeah. 100% transparent. All yeah, I like the fact right. that you guys are doing that. I, I actually wrote notes about that because I, I don't know that many other events do that either. So it would be great also for an international standpoint for people to be able to see everything that, that went in and, and what's happening down here. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that. We've contacted... Um, a few of the uh, international cannabis publications without naming names and yep. at least one of them has expressed some interest in 
possibly documenting it. And um, I think that it it might go ahead, but most certainly next year there will be there will be some international presence there, which will kind of beef the status of the event up. I think. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it would, um, we're hoping that next year will be, um, like, you know, really something special. And I, I think that this year will really pave the way for that. Yeah, excellent, man. Well, my hat goes off to you guys, and I'm sure it's been a, a lot of hard work and, you know, some stressful moments as well. So, yeah, anything we can do as you get closer to it to help you promote it and share it around, keep in touch because, uh, yeah, we really like the idea of what you're doing. And, you know, hopefully it inspires some other events as well of the, of the same nature, you know, it's, um, it'd be great to see like, cause the edible scene's getting really big here too, man. Yeah. That's actually a good point where we're strongly considering having an edible section because we've had a lot of interest and in, in adding an edible section, it would just be one extra section. So we can accommodate yeah. that in regards to prizes. Yeah. That is not a problem. So yeah, yeah, that's looking very popular. If I had to be honest, waiting on like one more person to message me and say they're going to enter an edibles entry, and then and that's I'll officially it. announce it because <laughs> uh, that's great. Or maybe this will be the tipping point on the podcast. Yeah, you heard it, guys. I dropped the hint. Send me the DM. <laughs> um, now, when you're not organising Australia's Cannabis Cup, you are also growing some amazing cannabis of your own, and alongside doing that hosting the podcast um which is you know probably my other favorite australian cannabis podcast oh thank you sir (laughs) um so what inspired the you know you starting the podcast i mean we talked a little bit about it at the start of the show like you know recognizing that there was kind of a, a more of a receptive community for it but what was the the inspiration in really getting the show going because i know at the start we we talked about it and you know about even possibly working together and ultimately i think it's it's great that we didn't and that we went our separate ways yeah i mean i just quickly referenced that point yeah i i had no idea how the show would turn out at that time and i i think i agree i mean what i was thinking at the time was that it would be like really short like like soundbite short even yeah and i was thinking like maybe it could even like slide in as a little segment on your show yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that totally changed. Um, and I don't even know why, really. I think, I think I just started writing questions for it, and I realized, like, I've got a lot more questions here than what you could fit into a soundbite. Yeah. And Yeah, well, it, it just becomes pretty organic, doesn't it, sometimes? Yeah, um, I'll admit, a lot of, uh, pretty much 95% of the questions I ask, I've pre-written. And that's because... I don't know. I, I get so wrapped up in the story as I'm listening to it. I almost struggle to um, kind of like view it critically and be like, oh, but what happened there? Like you didn't, you didn't really wrap up that little bit. Like for me, yep. I'm just listening to the story and it's like, oh, the story goes on. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely put a lot of effort into it before each interview because I had, I have, I've, had, I've done one of the interviews. I won't say which one. And it wasn't a bad interview or anything. But yeah. I thought I'd written like lots of questions and, and we just blasted through them. And then I, I was like, I felt like we didn't have enough material and we ended up, we did, it was fine. 
But um, mm-hmm. I just felt like we didn't at the time and I just felt so nervous and I was just like, fuck, I never want to be in this position again. Like, I'm always going to try to have uh, excess of questions. But at the same time, I put a lot of pressure on myself to try to write good questions. Like, I don't want to ask anything which has already been asked or, like, you could just easily Google and... So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. So, with that in mind, it takes time because after, like say 30 or 45 minutes of trying to think of like some interesting questions that they just all become shit ones yeah well i mean you had a you had a really strong online presence via your heavy days account so i mean we talked a little bit before about the people that go down the warren holes and how important they are for for the culture and for it getting expanded and you know by that getting geeky and really going down and, and the guests that you've kind of chosen and highlighted through the way have been a, a really great reflection of those people that go down the Warren holes or in, in, on the other scale, people who go down the Warren hole tend to find these guests of yours somewhere along the way as well. Yeah. I think the reason for that is because yeah, I'm, I'm down that hole and I'm picking <laughs> people who I want to talk to mostly. Um, yeah. That's the thing, I, I've i got like just this long list of people I want to interview and most of them have already said yes, so <laughs> it's, so that's great. Yep. Um, and so just as a like, little side note, anyone who ever messages me and is like, hey, you know, I can get this person on the show, thank you so much. It's not that like I don't want to interview them, I've just got a, such a big list already. So yep. yeah, and that's just because, yeah, like I want to, and, and that really helps with... Um, writing the questions because I I've had a lot of people request someone and I tried to start writing questions for it that's usually what I do before I even message them and ask them because it's like I want to know I've got some stuff to ask them basically yeah yeah and some ones where like it was just one where a lot of people asked for it I just yeah I was really struggling to write questions because yeah I I just kind of read all the history and just try to be really critical of it and I'm just like what happened there you know so yeah. yeah, if you're not interested in it, it's hard to get involved. For sure. Um, so, last year we almost crossed paths. We almost did this in the flesh. You you managed to be in Cali for the the cannabis cup down in where were you again? You're out. Uh, Park, Sonoma. Eh? Yeah, Sonoma County. Sonoma. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, did you get to record any stuff down there in, in live and in the flesh? I did. I've been so lazy editing it all. Hey. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the stuff I, so I got, I recorded like two interviews. One of them's online. I recorded the Mr. Soul one in flesh. Yep. It's online. I recorded like, I'll say like half of one with um, my boy from Dynasty, but um, we were like just so, we, we went out the night before and we were just so tired. So, <laughs> so, so we had to like wrap up halfway through and we still got to finish that off. And then I got a lot of footage, but, um, like, I don't know. It's hard. I've got to, I guess I've just got to get everything on YouTube because, yeah, like, obviously SoundCloud doesn't support any footage. And so I guess my motivation to get all that finished up has just been put to the side for the moment. Yeah. Now, your Heavy Days page is, you know, probably um, one of the better known pages as far as Australian breeders go. The photos you show up are absolute weed porn. Um, so, I mean, you and you obviously a, a big proponent of of growing organic cannabis as well. Yeah. For a first time 
grower, somebody who might be listening, thinking about setting something up at home, what what would be a, a reasonable place to kind of think about getting started? I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me about seed banks and reliable sources on sourcing genetics and making sure that you start with something good to begin with. Yeah, that's that's it, hey. And that, that ties into what I was talking about earlier where it's like for, for no extra effort, you'll get a way better product just for the genetics. And yeah. it's because it's really simple. In biology, There's this, this is actually a biology equation. And it yep. basically says that the end product of whatever we're talking about in a genetic sense is the result of three variables, genetics, environment, and then other factors, which are usually combinations of synergistic things between the two, as well as just other random environmental factors that happen. So more or less, they have assigned that you know the genetic part gets approximately 40%, the environmental part gets approximately 40%, and then the other factors get approximately 20%. So what that means is like, you know, literally a minimum of 40% of the end result of your grow is determined by the genetics. In my opinion, it's a lot more than that. But yep. the bare minimum, like you should try to consider that. Like if you're only running like mediocre genetics, maybe they're only running at say half their capacity, like 20% instead of 40. And so like, yep. yeah, it really adds up and it's it's literally no more effort at the end of it. <coughs> so if, if you're a, you know, a home grower, you're looking to maybe get your own medicine, where would you recommend one like in terms of the soil composition if you're if you're going inside if you don't have the opportunity to grow it outdoors are there some sort of bare minimums that you need to to start with well i mean for organic that was what got me so into it it was the rev is a an online figure who writes for the skunk magazine and he's he's a really kind of charismatic presenter and he's very passionate about organics and he was the one who got me into it and there was this video he had on youtube and it was amazing. It was actually a, a seminar he gave at the Emerald Cup. I think it was 2005, but for whatever reason, it's been taken down, unfortunately, and it doesn't seem to be anywhere else. But long story short, in that video, he basically highlights the point that, like, the reason why organics is so good is because it, there's so many different ways to make it work, whereas with, you know, synthetics, there's kind of, like, more of a recipe, which is, like, more of a one-way works-only mindset. And yep. so, you know, his his whole philosophy was like, just give it a go, literally. Just get yourself some good compost, get yourself some good um, potting mix, potting soil, grow a plant in it, just give it water. That's all it really needs. Your product's going to be pretty good. You're not going to get a whole ton of it, but it's going to be pretty good. And that's something which I really liked about organics. Even if you, like, fucked up a bit, it more so just affected the yield, not the quality. So it was like first time round, you'd get really good stuff and it's like, fuck, this is great. Now I just need to try to work on getting some more. And like for me, that's not a problem, but I think that that's a good starting spot for a lot of people because I started out being a bottled nutrient grower and I got reasonable yields, but it was pretty it's pretty shitty. And then like the first time I grew organics, it was like a game changer in terms of the quality. Like it was, it was full on. So it's yeah like i'm really passionate about it and i guess if someone wanted to get into it as i said honestly if you're just like putting your toe in the water like just go get some good compost go get some good potting mix put the compost on the bottom half of the pot put the potting mix on the top half and start growing your plant and just just yeah. get some water like literally that's all you need and um you know obviously have like lights and shit like that but um that's really it and you know and if you want to go really down the wormhole you can then start to look at more advanced stuff like the stuff I use, it's like I kind of get given it real cheap by my friends over at OGS who 
they do like a real good job. But but again, like if you're just thinking about it, like don't don't bother with that. It's not worth it. Yeah. Like it's yeah. Just get your toe. You know what you know what I mean. It's like there's no point buying a yeah. high end camera just to see if you're into photography. Well, it's kind of like a little bit like we were talking before. You know, like give people a little taste first. Like have a taste diet with just water, and then you know you'll be in encouraged next time around to start tweaking a few variables and start making your yield a little bit more productive and you'll you'll start to geek out a little bit on it yeah exactly and i mean to me people who are really passionate about organics the yield tends to not be their concern you know they're interested in producing clean good quality medicine if if yields are made a concern of yours i would never even recommend really looking into organics unless you're committed to really learn it because you can still get just as good of a yield but you've you know it's still got a learning curve yeah Um, for sure i mean i i spent harvest last year at a pure organics cannabis farm in california and you know when you've got the opportunity and the means to do it with it you can do it on a huge scale and your yield can be phenomenal yeah that's it and that's like that's a thing which a lot of people don't think like because the hydro mags have kind of always said that for a long time being like it might be better quality but we can grow lots more of it and so for the business-minded person that sounded really appealing but i mean yeah that's not even the case anymore and more so like if you are really business-minded in that sense, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you, you should probably talk to someone else because that's not what I'm about. You know, in the world of fruit and veg and everything else, organic fetches a premium. So why shouldn't it in the world of cannabis as well? Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly the case. Like, I know people on both ends of the spectrum where there's – I know people who grow organically and as a result, they're able to charge more. And I know yep. people who grow organically and they still give it for the same price. And I think that – those the customers of those later people like they they've got it good and they don't know what's up (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean that goes back a lot to what you're doing with the cup as well but also what we talked about before about the the depth of knowledge really starting to expand in in the australian community where you know the the more technical terms around cannabis when we're not really discussed let alone strains even you know growing up and hearing about strains was virtually unheard of um, and, and now it's quite prevalent throughout the community. It's really an interesting topic because that same point was kind of echoed by a lot of the um, the people I've interviewed. You know, like in the past, people didn't really seem to care so much about the strain names or like trying to get like lots of information about them. Like it was just more like, how does it make me feel? Like that's all I really care about. And then as a result of that, there was a lot of like misnaming of stuff because yeah people didn't care about the name so like uh, you might have had some real good stuff and you found some seeds in it and like boy it would be great to know what this stuff was, actually was and you bought the mm-hmm. seeds and maybe you use them but like now you just got a name on something because you don't really know um, yeah. so I mean yeah that's like a bit of a problem but yeah it's really interesting how um, the names have become more popular and I, my theory around it at least in relation to myself is the more strains that come out the more you know, there's more kind of like little micro domains that you can become expert in. You know, like you might be like, well, I really like Indicas and particularly I like Afghanis. So I'm going to be like, try to collect all the Afghanis I can and I'll try to become like really good at picking up those elements when I smoke other strains or whatever, you know? So it's like, there's all these little areas where you can, you know, become like a little even micro connoisseur amongst flavors so to speak yeah all different niches for people yeah exactly whereas before it was like maybe you were just known as the dude who smoked a lot of good weed or something you know what i mean like it's, it was hard to define yeah yourself. for sure hard to carve yeah. your identity yeah 
100%. And and people would just stick names on things to try and make them sound cool too. Yeah, like I, I read this story hypothesizing that a lot of the strains back in the day that had super in them, like it was just like it didn't didn't mean anything. It was just like you know, like so so super skunks the big example, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say yeah. if you look online, a lot of sites will tell you that it's a cross of regular skunk to Afghani, which was true for what one breeder did. However, I yeah. think for the majority of it, it was just like really good batches of skunk. Yeah. Well, it's like in Brazil, I mean, they have kind of two types of weed. They have the brown, which is just like brick weed from over the border. And then you get access to skunk. And skunk is just covers anything that's better than brown. Yeah, yeah. That, I feel like that was kind of the case in the UK for a long time as well. Yeah, where it just, well, it could very well have stemmed from there as well. Yeah, I just know that, like, for them, it was like. Because they, they didn't even really refer to cheese as cheese. They just still called it skunk. And I know at least when yeah. I went over there in 2010, it was the case that, yeah, it was like there was still a lot of brickweed coming in from various places, and I had got some of that. Um, but, yeah, you could also get, like, skunk, which was like... When they explained it to me at the time, I remember thinking, this just sounds like the equivalent of, like, you know, like Bush and Hydro in Australia, and we're getting Hydro. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah. So, um, there's been a kind of bit of a boom in the in the Aussie cannabis industry as well. I mean, outside of the plant itself, it seems that there are a few people like for seeing for seeing a green rush. You've got vaporizer companies starting up. Add to that the whole host of medicinal things. But I even saw like a, a hemp drink. Release and I guess now with the the change from food standards, with them allowing us to consume hemp now, we're going to see a lot more of that becoming quite prevalent. Your take on all of that, man? Yeah, I mean, I've heard that hemp's got lots of antioxidants and stuff in it. So I mean, even if you want to just look at it, see, I always try to look at things from like the most ultimate pessimist view. So basically. I try to look at things from the view of, like, what a current medical doctor would look at them, which is, like, someone who, like, probably doesn't really support marijuana. It's, like, even they would have to agree yep. that, like, a drink like that's got, like, lots of antioxidants. It's, like, you could theoretically make it low-calorie if, you know, you don't stuff it full of sugar. And um, yep. there's lots of other things that could be, you know, like, all the flavonoids, just depending on how they did, like, the whatever type of the hemp extracts in there, like, you could... You could make it all the way up to being like almost like a, a full extract type thing, just without the actual cannabinoids. And and if you look at like full yeah. extract of most things, they appear to be more effective than like oil or something like that. And so the extrapolation yep. is that there's stuff in there which is doing extra. So yeah, you might be getting that in the drink, and I think that'd be cool. In regards to all the vapes and stuff. Um, I'm not a big vape dude myself. Um, my buddy Gerald the Hand, he's got like the best vape I've ever had in that it hooks up to like a bong, and so like you can still pull it through a bong if you want, and it and it yeah, delivers, right. delivers like a real good hit. Whereas most yeah, cool. I've tried a, it's like a different high. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, and like for me, I'm I, I always laugh at that. I'm a bong bitch. I was brought up on them, like <laughs> not yeah, same way, man. I'm probably heard a couple 
being sucked down along the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to, to switch over to most vapes when you come from bongs because you're used to that big hit and... Yeah. Yeah, but this one, this one I tried from Gerald, it, it's pretty good. It goes hard. I'm thinking about getting it. Do you remember what it is? No. He'll kill me for not knowing because he, he loves it when I talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> um... <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it's got like a, an active fan in it though, and that's cool. So it's like it's actively pushing it down the stem of the bong, and then you all yeah right. So it's pretty good. It gets a, gets a good amount of smoke out in a relatively short amount of time, and I think that's like the big part is like trying to simulate a bong hit, which is essentially that like big hit, small amount of time. Um, so I know before we sort of started kicking it off, you were talking about a, an an article that you've been writing at the moment, and it was a good segue. For for me to talk about something that we've kind of covered a little bit, but, you know, I guess one of the demons of the Aussie cannabis scene is, is PGR weed. And, and a lot of people don't even know what it is. They don't even know that it's a thing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I remember, um, the first, the first I ever heard of it. And the first that I think Australians ever heard of it was, I got a good friend, um, I won't drop his name because I can't think of like an alter ego name for him right now, <laughs> but he's on Reddit and he was, he was the first one I know and he was the one who posted something about it and it was like the first article I ever read about it. This was like three or four years ago and, um, and I remember yep. reading about it at the time and I was like, this is, this is interesting because this is like, I've always had the suspicion that something like this was going on. Because to me, I always used to think like, what? How come all like quote hydro weed in Australia, um, yeah, it has like that similar feel? Like you get like that rubber band feeling around your head, and it's. I used to describe it as like just a brick to the head, like it just just knocks you out. Yeah. And I always used to yeah. wonder, like, surely not all the growers are using the same strain. Like, that just can't be the case, really. And yeah, yeah I, I realized that like a lot of it, a lot of that, those unpleasant feelings are caused by the PGRs themselves and more so the reason why all the weed looks the same is because, I mean, some of the strains are shared between the big growers, but more so the, the PGRs themselves cause the plants to look a particular way. And that's why, you know, yeah, right. the hydro looks quite similar. So with that yeah. in mind... Which it, lent itself to the... It lent itself to like the me, I guess, because it was like oh, this is the good weed, and so you know, because it, it looks, it's, it's got covered in red hairs, it's really dense, and you know, kind of fat nugs, you know, that are all really dense. So that became the myth for a lot of people that that was the good weed to get. It's interesting. I never, I'm, I'm quite young, so I, I was never getting weed when it was good, so to speak. Like the first time I bought weed would have been like around like the 2000 and. 2008 2009 period and yep. maybe maybe a year or two earlier like just but yeah about then and so it was always rampant pgr stuff so for me yeah i never yeah i never thought it was good or bad i definitely thought it was better than bush in the sense that i just thought bush was trash but at the same time it, that type of sativa that is typically called bush is it just doesn't really speak to me anyway i'm not a big yeah. fan of it yeah yeah, so I guess the things to to look out for with it, though, and, and this is the interesting part because it's really, 
it's really kind of hard unless you've got um, just exposure to seeing a lot of PGR weed because yeah. there are a lot of little variations. And and, not- and PGR, sorry, it's, it's plant growth regulators, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so the- ba- basically, these are, these are chemicals which are trying to mimic natural chemicals the plant would make. However, they've got a lot of unwanted side effects in the human body. So yep. if, if, the, if the companies could just make the natural chemicals themselves, that would be great. But for whatever reason, like they're not uptaken through the roots or you, you, know, like you can't water the plant with it and get it into the plant. So for that reason, you've yep. got to give it a different chemical that will get in and try to replicate the effects. But unfortunately, a lot of the molecules themselves have got, for example, like carcinogenic properties or just yep. they disrupt spermatozoa and... In, yeah, as a result, r- result in like you know, because this was a this was a typical thing I got told growing up. You know, like if you smoke stems, you'll have like deformed sperm, and it's like <laughs> I used to laugh at that, but it's actually true. Yeah. Like PGRs yeah, right. literally do that; they they yeah. cause spermatozoa disruption. So yeah, and in, like for those kind of reasons, in most like of the, for instance, the states in in the US, those in, where you have legit grows, you're definitely not allowed to use PGRs. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's being tested, then yeah, you definitely can't. Um, A lot of people seem to think it is being used in the States. I'm a bit skeptical because I see photos online all the time of people being like, this is PGR weed, and it's like, it's still super crystally. It's It's just dense. And that's the thing which I think a lot of people don't understand is it's like, it's not just like really dense weed is PGR weed. It's like PGRs make the strain more dense than it would have been. So if you had a strain that was going to be super airy, it might not even end up being like, you know, quote, dense yeah. after PGR use. It would just be more dense. You know? Yeah, so, denser. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So so it's not just like a, a rule of thumb, like, you know, if you, you know, like it, it could be the case that the most densest bud you've ever come across was not PGR, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so yes, that's a big one to remember. But I think for me, the the biggest one in my opinion is the discoloration. You know, like it's it's got like a weird grey dark yeah. color. Yeah, it, it doesn't look right. And, uh, um, Dick, it looks like it's kind of almost been vaporized sometimes or yeah, used. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Hey, like someone had good bud and it's like post vape <laughs> bud. Well, I've even heard rumors of people blasting bud and then selling it, like you know, to make BHO and then selling the bud after. I've heard of that too. I think the thing for that would be though that you'd have to be starting with good bud because I've heard of people like trying to do extractions on PGR buds, but you know you get horrible returns because there's no trichomes. Yeah, of course. But, um, but yeah, I could definitely see that being possible if you had good weed, you know, and you gave it a blast and you got it out and dried it for long enough so it didn't smell like butane. Yeah. And admittedly, like to the to the experienced smoker, you'd, you'd probably still pick up on it, but you know, to the to the novice, they probably know yeah. different. There seems to be a bit of a rise in concentrates as well. I mean, obviously, having a concentrate section to your cup shows that it is happening, but definitely starting to see it become more prevalent in the Aussie cannabis community. It was we I was in the states, and you know, talking to young dudes like in their late teens early 20s and they're like you know flowers are for old men I, you know that's what my dad smokes i'd never touch that stuff and just straight up doing dabs their whole life you know that's an interesting one isn't it i'm um i'm in the same boat i'm i'm flower for life um yeah right i um 
In Australia, I've got a theory about it. Pretty simple, you know. Weird shit here, so it's natural to want to try to make it stronger. So you got yeah. to concentrate. Easy solved. Yep. In America, you got good flour, though, because that's the interesting one. Some people have told me, like, it's just because, you know, like, eventually people are going to jack their tolerance up and then... And then it's right. like, where do you go to from dabs, man? Yeah. <laughs> and part of me thinks it's like it's a mistake in a way. It's like you do yeah. dabs and and they're good because they just they fuck you up. Yeah. And then and then you keep doing them and then and then you've done them for like a week and then you smoke some flour and it just doesn't do anything for you anymore. Right. Yeah. Like the, part of me thinks that's maybe what happens to literally everyone because. I don't know. Like, I just say to people, like, I, I meet a lot of people who are, like, concentrates only. And, like, as soon as someone says that to me and they're Australian, I immediately yeah. think, like, oh, you probably haven't had, like, really good flour before. Yeah. And, and you dabbed yourself out of being able to appreciate the mild bud that you've got now. Yeah. and it, But, like, I mean, the one thing I'll say in defense is maybe not a lot of them were dab only, but a lot of them were, like, mostly dabs. and. And after yeah. I have physically met up with them and like shared some of my flowers, a lot of them would have been like, "Yeah, like I'd be happy to smoke this." But yeah, yeah. So for me, I don't, I can't pinpoint why in the states they do it because, yeah, for me, it's like I just say to people, I'm like, "Look, if you try like the, the most top end flowers, it's to me, it's on par with the most top end concentrates." So, yeah, yeah, it shouldn't be a case of like, "Oh no." it's still better so yeah I don't know I think yeah it's the tolerance thing and it's also America's got like this big thing about like just going super hard you know right yeah bigger better yeah totally yeah, like just, yeah. just go as hard as you can yeah uh, well that that kind of brings us around again to the article that you were talking about earlier and kind of starting that conversation I mean if you're in a in a shitty position where you can either only you're a, you're supplying people and you can only get crappy weed or you're on the lower scale of that and you're only able to find crappy weed for yourself um, and we need to start a conversation within the community where we start to get away from, from crappy weed and start looking at really good cannabis and demanding it and finding a way for everybody to work together growers and suppliers to, to keep good cannabis flowing it's it's such a multifaceted problem, isn't it? It's um, it's huge. It's there's there's so many parts which like I feel like we should start on first, but it's hard to know where to. An interesting thing to note about that is that, in my opinion, if you're someone who makes like a substantial amount of money, like I don't know, because substantial is like a bit of a vague term. How should I put this? If if you're the type of person who's like a dealer, but you're just just kind of helping mates out, so to speak. Yeah, maybe getting cheap weed for yourself or something in the deal. Yeah, but, like, I think if you're at the point where you're actually pocketing money from it and you're selling shit stuff, I think you've got an obligation to prioritize, like, literally actively looking for a good source of weed. It might take you forever to find it, but, like, there's nothing that annoys me more than, like, I meet a dealer and they're just like, oh, yeah, man, I just sell PGRs. Like, that's all I do. And it's like... And, and and do you look for, like, a better source or anything? And they're like, oh, yeah, like I did a while ago. And it's like, well, it's not going to come fucking knocking on the door, dude. Like, and, and so, yeah, like, I mean, I think if you're, like, especially if you're, like, a dealer for a living and you're just dealing PGRs, like, it's it's fucking your obligation to, like, try to find a better hookup. Yeah. And, um, and as I said, you know, it's hard. It's hard. So I'm not saying it has to happen, but you've got to try. Um and yeah in regards to 
getting growers and stuff to link up, it's it's about forming good relationships, you know, and and good yeah. relationships are built on lots of things. And we mentioned this earlier, but you know, like a good relationship is one where a buyer is not constantly trying to bid down a seller and likewise a seller is not constantly trying to pull the wool over the buyer's eyes in regards to quality and yep. so what I mean by that is is like there, there aren't really high quality dealers in Australia because of several factors but a big one is that a lot of people don't want to pay the price and so yep. until you are like happy to pay prices you're not going to find that dealer and so yep. the the way I would tie into it is you know, if you meet someone who offers you weed for a higher price, don't just instantly shy away if you suspect. Ask them for a sample. It's totally reasonable to ask for a sample. You know, like if you, even if you were going to buy the smallest amount they were willing to offer you, one cone is nothing in compared in comparison to that. You know, even if it was like fifty dollars worth, like yep. one, one cone is like two dollars worth of weed at max. Yeah. So like, it's totally reasonable to ask for a sample, and if it's good, buy it and form a good relationship with that person, and don't try to bid them down. Don't like ask them next week if you can get it for five bucks cheaper, because like, that's that's a big problem, you know. Beat that like, guy. Yeah, because like eventually the person will be like, oh man, everyone wants it cheaper, and so they go and find a new source. Don't tell anyone. All of a sudden, the weed shitter, and that ties in. You know, a lot of people have had that story of like, oh yeah, like I got this new dealer, and like they were really good, and then all of a sudden it just dropped off after like a month or so. And it's like, because yeah, like people are just, you know, passively always kind of trying to wear them down. And so they think, fuck it, I'll get this cheaper ounce. I can give it to them a little cheaper. I'm also making some more money because like bottom line's lower now. And, yep. and and it's a problem. And it's like this, you know, this bloody slippery slope almost. And so Yeah, it's like self-degenerating and yeah, nasty circle. Yeah, so it's like find someone find someone who's got weed you're happy with to pay the price and, and value that and if they're a good person they'll value you as well. Yeah. That's at least how yeah, I think about it. Yeah, and I think the community is, is growing and opening up enough now where if you're smart about it, those relationships you can start to make them and you can start to build them. Um and and start to find like minded people close by. A lot of people message me asking for weed, and I usually of just course. usually don't reply. But some of them, for whatever reason, and it probably just dependent on the mood. I mean, I'll decide to reply to them and just like kind of ask why they're asking me this, more or less. But um, most of the time, the answer I get is they're just like, "Oh, I've tried, I've tried." And it's like, when you say you tried, do you mean like you've messaged other people randomly who you don't know, just asking for weed? Like, and it because it's so funny because it's like. I form friendships with people and, you know, like, probably takes a long time, but, like, eventually I'll, like, maybe give them a bit of weed, like, just unexpectedly, and it'll just be, yeah. you go, dude. And it's, like, people people don't seem to understand that, like, that's that's almost just how friendships work. You don't just you don't just walk up to someone and ask them for something immediately. It's, like, when you're, when you're their friend, maybe they'll help you out, like, from their own. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't do it on the street. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I just say to people, I'm like, look, I know you want weed, but maybe you should just try to make some friends in the community and just chat to them and just get to know them for ages and then maybe eventually one of them will offer you something. Like even as simplistic or as, you know, reductionist as that sounds, that really is like the most basic game plan you could have to try to start scoring good weed if you had no means of doing it in person. Like literally, start making friends with people online. Don't pester them. And by that, I mean don't ask them for weed. Just... Yep. Don't just don't just ask them questions, but like you know what I mean. Like become friends with people. Like yeah, be genuine. Yeah, yeah, reach out. 
Yeah. yeah and, and people will sense the genuineness and then that's when they won't feel weird about maybe helping you out. 100%. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's all about how you present yourself. And it's like, yeah, I know that maybe you don't have weed now, so it's really tempting to just ask for some weed, but it's never going to work. And the other problem is they could never understand the position you're in anyway. So, like, I don't expect them to have a 100%, you know, ability to be like, oh, well, if I was in his shoes, I'd never help someone out. So I won't ask that because, like, yeah, they've never been in my position, so they don't know yep. the way, you know what I mean? Because it's a bit of a unique one to be in. But at the same time, they should be smart enough to know that, like, yeah, just getting a random message online for drugs is never going to result in a... And if it did, like, fucking what type of a guy would I be? Like, you, you exactly, should be worried right. about getting robbed. Yeah. Yeah, that's the dude you got to got to be alarm bells. Yeah, man, <laughs> that dude comes and rolls you. <laughs> so, um, you've you've been obviously you've got a a great selection of strains at home, and have over the years produced some beautiful cannabis, uh, and you know have done some traveling. What what are your what are the things that you look for in like a really good smoke? Do you have a, do you have like a, a top three strains or a top one even? Can you nail it down? Yeah, my favorite strain is the Blue Magoo. Um, it's it's amazing in my opinion. Anyone who likes blueberry strains, they'll really yep. like the Blue Magoo. Shout out to Dynasty. You can get it from them, the BX2. It's really good in seed form. Um, yep. I love it because it's it's a very indica, Afghani type plant. However, it's got much better side branching than the typical Afghani so from a growing point of view it yields a lot better than a typical Afghani which is like really good it's it's got like bang on blueberry terps but it's got like this kind of musky incense twist to it so it, it's hard to describe but it's it's very like complex and nuanced like you can just sit there and just kind of decipher all the components and it's like it's like a cave you explore you know there's so much to it and it, and finally, it's um, it, it's so medicinal. It's just you smoke it, and you, you feel like in between all your joints, like little clouds of air, and you can feel the anti-inflammatory properties. And it's also really good for anxiety and um, <clears throat> things like that. Yeah. And yeah, it's um, just a little side note as well with that smell. It's like a very feminine smell. It's not like a real. It doesn't overpower things. Like if you had it in a bag with something else, it might even get overpowered because it's. Yeah, it's, like, it's got like a soft, almost like the way like lavender's got this softness to it. Yeah, um, does it come from Blue Dream? Is that in its No, it comes, it comes from Blueberry and Blueberry, it's crossed yeah. to a strain called Major League Bud, which is um, a very old school strain of Williams Wonder from SSSC, which is essentially the best seed bank of all time um yeah so yeah definitely some heavyweight genetics behind it and and you know what's really interesting because i thought about this for a while and i wanted to make a point of mentioning this if i ever brought this up was um the 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 magoo is part of the reason as to why i share clones with people because i you know like i I don't give them to anyone but i I share them with friends for sure um the reason for that is because uh, the Blue Magoo, they don't know who made it. It was just made by someone in Oregon. It's like real popular in Oregon. Yeah. And um, it's it, it's a result of basically because DJ Short, the guy who invented Blueberry, he decided to release clones to the community and to people. And as a result, you know, like my favorite strain was essentially conceived by just some dude in a basement because DJ Short was willing to give out his really good cuts of Blueberry. And yeah, so that's that, rad. 
And yeah, and so for me, that really was like, well, I'm, I'm going to make sure that like, you know, like I'm not giving it out to everyone to the point where it's just valueless, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say no to people who are worthy. And yeah. so, yeah, that's something which I always consider and I think people should consider as well because, you know, like, and I mean, likewise, DJ Short would never, he, he probably wouldn't even really know that much about The Strain, to be honest, Like he would never take credit. So it's like, it's a really you're just helping other people you know what i mean like it's no skin off your back really yeah yeah i, I love that side of the whole the whole breeding thing then and, and the whole sharing and the community that that you guys have it's a really nice thing to see it reminds me a lot of of the jiu-jitsu community in a lot of ways it's cool so somebody just wanted to quickly mention was um in regards to the cup, like one of the goals is to obviously, you know, have a, an event next year, which would be great. Yep. But I, I want to tie it back to like that, that growth of the community. And so another thing which unfortunately I've got no control over or no one really does except for just people collectively is I'd really like for there to be organic networking at the end of the comp, you know. So what I mean by that is part of it is like so that people kind of know who's who. So if you think, hey, I'm trying real hard, I'm at the forefront of things, I'd love to know other people who are here with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you kind of now know. You might, yeah, have thought, totally. you might have thought you were going to get first place and you end up getting third place. And so yeah. like now you got two new best friends, whoever came second and first. 100%, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, like, and, and that, that, again, ties into... Um, kind of the the Magoo point um, in that, you know, like through that networking, people share clones and, you know, like my ultimate goal in some regards, people always ask me like, what's my ultimate goal? I don't really have one, but one thing I would love to achieve is for there to be like a clone sharing scene in Australia because that's that's how shit happens because like so many strains are a result of just accidents and, and it was just because like there was a like a really nice female clone in that grow room at that time and you know as a result there's now a new strain and yeah so yeah it, I, I think it's really important that um people do that but there's there's so many issues surrounding that and so the first thing is like i this is like kind of a little how-to of how to trade clones you know yep. first of all don't ever accept a clone off someone unless you are either a 100 percent sure that the clone they have is just better than like anything you've got, anything you've ever tried because so many times I've accepted clones and they just don't perform up to what I'm expecting and that comes back to exposure, you know, like what you think is really good and you tell me it's really good could be totally yep. different to what I think is really good and that's just because I've smoked Chem 91. I don't think I'll ever smoke stronger weed than that and so yeah. to me when you give something a 9 out of 10, to me it might just be a 7 out of 10. Yeah. Um, yep. so that's that's an important point because that can lead to frictions and especially it can lead to like you maybe you do a trade with someone and like you're both happy with the deal and then all of a sudden you feel ripped off and like they they weren't trying to rip you off necessarily so yep. so yeah like you just want to avoid that and it's really a simple way like you just trade some bud first be like i'll send you some bud of that you send me some bud if we both like the bud we can then trade yep um and so that's pretty simple. Um, and then, but so the, the kind of the unsaid part of that though is how do you then, you know, have good, good weed trade? Well, you've got to be buying seeds regularly. Part, yep. I, I often, sorry, I feel like it's almost wasted time when I'm not growing out new strains because 
sometimes you find Australian and it's phenomenal and so you, you maybe you're going to spend a little bit of time working with that but honestly it's still just so so rewarding to, to pop new seeds to find new things and to be able to share them as opposed to just growing the same thing out because to me I look at it like at the end of each growing cycle so to speak you've got two choices you can either grow to make money you know by like selling the bud or whatever yeah. or you can grow to have new clones at the end of it because you you know you've tested new things and you've culled out the runs and now at the end of it all you've got maybe let's say you know you did a whole room full of plants well now at the end of it you've maybe got two or three plants that are like phenomenal and like you now got them in your kit so to speak yeah so it's like you've got a choice you can do those to me i'm not interested in the money one you know i'm interested in finding the new clones because a the clones are worth a lot more and they're a you know, an infinite source of the bud as opposed to just a finite one, which will get you money, but then it's gone and you've got to make more. Um, But more so, it it opens the door. If no one pops seeds, that's, that's just a shame because then we've got no new flavors and it, and the, you really do need to constantly have new strains coming onto the scene because a, it gets people interested, but more importantly, I'm sure as you're aware, (coughs) when you're like, and, and this is a hard point to explain, you know, because by definition, a heavy smoker is anyone who smokes once a day. So, like, for, for like, people like us, that doesn't sound like a heavy smoker. Like, if someone came up to me and was like, oh, you know, I just have, like, one one hit before bed. Like, I wouldn't call yeah. him a heavy smoker at all. I'd be like, you're a yeah. light smoker. But that's a heavy smoker by medical definition. And so, yeah. and you do notice, even if you smoke that much, if you suddenly switch strains, you'll, you'll feel like you've just been hit for six, you know, and that's because the, the change in cannabinoid profile is like a shock to the system and it almost feels like you've had a bit of a tolerance break in the sense of like it's just it's hitting you harder than the previous strain was until you mm-hmm. readjust to it. And so if nothing else, you know, there's people might you need to take meds every day and it's like for them to be able to have something which can just totally feel like a shock to the system even though they haven't gone on a tolerance break. That's awesome. And from a recreational point of view, it's always nice to have new flavors or to be able to feel like a, yeah. you know, a different type of euphoria or whatever. 100%. I mean, you know, that's always the joy of being able to get overseas to places where you've got access to various strains and you don't even have to buy lots of it, you know, and you can just – it's then you get a real good appreciation of how varying and subtle the different effects of different strains can be. Yeah, and that's something which I think it's like it's that whole exposure point, isn't it? You know, like if people knew about the different ways they could feel, I think yep. they'd be so much more passionate about things. Like this one time, I had some banana OG, and every time you took a hit from this stuff, you'd get like a wave of kind of tingles slash euphoria go through your body. And I'm sure everyone's experienced that from smoking weed at some point in time. But the crazy part was like every time you took a hit of this stuff without fail, it would do it. And it was just mind-blowing. It was like like this is – there's clearly, you know, like a specific composition of chemicals in this weed right now which is doing it. And exactly, right. And and what people haven't – probably haven't realized is that yeah, I only like smoking – there's been a couple of times I enjoyed it but I never did the other times. Not knowing that those couple of times I enjoyed it, there's a specific strain out there for them that's going to replicate that every time for them. Yeah, totally, totally. So yeah, I think exposure is a big one, and that'll be good because just over time it'll naturally happen. And yeah, I mean, yeah, a little side note of what I was mentioning before, in regards to the popping seeds, you also really need to keep the clones because I know a lot of people who grow seeds out, but like they don't keep clones. That's just such a waste, you know. Like you're seriously yeah. wasting the genetic. 
if you found the best strain on earth, it's now gone. And it's just yeah, like, and I mean that's it. And, and how long? If, sorry, go on. Sorry, I mean, you, if you keep a clone and you propagate a mother plant, she's viable for a long time, right? Theoretically, forever, as long as you don't treat it bad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's just like people, it's just, it seems like a bunch of effort. And this was something I went through myself and I realized every time I kind of upped the ante as a grower or as a breeder, yep. it, it then just became the new norm. Like it was like, oh, you mean I've got to take cuttings of every plant before flower? That's so many. And then yeah. soon enough, that was the norm. And then it was like, oh, well, I've got to keep cuttings of the males as well. Are you kidding? And just now that's the norm. You know yep. what I mean? And so yeah. it's like it's just adjusting and getting used to it because some people will be like, oh, well, if the plant's really good, I can just re-veg it. I don't need to take a clone. Problem is when you re-veg a plant, often that plant will now be reduced potency and reduced yield. So it's like you might have it back, but it's like often it's not the same plant, not as good, I should say. And right. So, so, yeah, it's worth the effort to take time to keep the clones because there's probably been more good strains lost even in just Australia than like there are clone onlys in America, so to speak, because yeah. lots of people in Australia buy good quality seeds. Yeah. It's like they just they just grow it out and they're like, Yeah, that was like an awesome yeah. three or four ounces. Yeah. Next one. Yeah, that's it, hey. Yeah. <laughs> so um that's interesting. Um so if you if you pop a bunch of seeds, right? And I I don't know what your feelings are on feminized seeds is that is that kind of the way people go or is that not a thing as far as i thought you're kind of still a bit risky with playing with the genetics further down the line yeah to me honestly i've grown a lot of feminized seeds out and i've never really had major issues with hermaphrodism except yep. from the calicon keep yep. that in mind everyone calicon is <laughs> hermy um and but I mean some of them don't but most of them do um, yeah. but, but basically in general yeah my feminized seeds have never hermied on them and when I speak to people that tends to not be their issue with feminized seeds either it tends to be when people want to breed with feminized seeds so that's the uh-huh. issue because it's like as a breeder you should be going to the effort of doing all the things that need to be done and if you're a yeah. breeder feminized seeds is a bit of a shortcut because it's like oh, I don't have to bother you know culling out the males I can yep I can select through 30 plants instead of 15 because, you know... For sure. Yeah, so it's like, if you're just growing out for yourself, go for feminized seed. It's a a great way to... Especially because, you know, you don't have to, like, fuck with culling the males if it's your first time around and you don't want to have to... Well, yeah, that's that's what I was going to kind of ask about. So if you you don't know what you've got, right, they're not feminized seeds, so you've got... Say you've got 10 plants growing. You would advise or you would take cuttings of the 10 of those before they showed any signs of sex or what they were going to be and and have them all clearly labeled and marked and then make your decisions after the flowering point and refer back to those previous cuttings um basically yes to everything you said except i sex them first so i find out what are the males and the females and then i take cuttings of all the females and if i was going to breed with the males I would select my male out of the group and then take a cutting of that and yep. then cull all the males. And so, and then, yeah, and so then I'd have a cutting of all the females plus the one male plus big parents of all those ones and I'd put the big ones into flower. Yeah. So then and so... Put, yeah, little ones. Because often a lot of sites will tell you to keep the big plant as a mother yep. and then grow the little one up and flower that. And it's like, no, that's totally wrong. 
uh-huh. put the big plant into flower because otherwise it'll get way too big and then what the fuck are you going to do with it? Yeah. Put the big one into flower and then the little one, once it's rooted and cloned, that's your new that's mother. Um, it's tiny yeah. and easy to maintain. Yeah, cool. Cool. And, and then in sexing before you determine clones, is there tips and tricks to sexing males and females? I mean, obviously every new time grower is worried about you know, having their females pollinated. So everybody trips out that they don't want to get their boys out before there's any problem of them releasing pollen. Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, i got some tips and tricks for you all. Um, so if you're feeling confident, what you do is you let the plants get root-bound. And so by that, what I mean is you put them into little pots after you've sprouted them. And by little, I don't mean crazy small. I mean, like, you know, relatively small. Um, yep. maybe, maybe like a half a litre up to a one litre pot. I wouldn't go higher than one litre though. Um, uh-huh. And basically you let the plant grow in that and basically that's the only pot it'll ever be in before it goes into the final pot, which you'll then basically, you'll transplant it into that one and then it goes into flower. Um, yep. By leaving it in that small pot and letting it get root bound, the plant like gets a little bit stressed, but we're in veg cycle. So stress doesn't mean anything in veg cycle. Um, so yeah, it gets root-bound, gets a bit stressed and it'll show sex early. The other thing I do in conjunction with that, which is a little bit easy to do because most people when they go on their first time, it's probably easier for them to just have the plant in like an appropriate pot because towards the end, when you've got like a big plant in a small pot, it becomes a little bit harder to maintain. So if you're not feeling real confident with that one, the other one, which I'd recommend, or you can do them together is keep the plant under 24 hour light. Okay. Under 24 hour light, the plant won't grow as quickly. It'll have smaller internodal distance, but it'll be very sensitive to darkness. So if you uh-huh. so if you say grow it up to say five nodes big, it's got five nodes, and it's under twenty four hour lights, and you then start to give it eight hours of sorry six hours of darkness, which yep. is not enough to make it flower, but it's a lot of darkness in comparison to getting none. What? Uh, yeah. yeah, the plants will almost like start to prepare for flower and they'll start to yeah. show their sex. Yeah. So, yeah, so either one of those or both together works really well and um, and that's and, how you can find out the sex before. Cool. And either one of those, sorry to interrupt, but on either one of those, would you then, after doing either one rebound or whatever, would you then move it fully into its flower cycle? Yeah, so once it got root-bound and showed sex, it would be about a reasonable height anyway to do that. Yeah. Um, I would then replant it as soon, yeah. as, as, soon as it showed sex. If there was enough yeah. growth on it to take a clone then and there, I'd do that. Otherwise, I know it's a female. So, yeah, as you said, put it in the final pot. Maybe give it a week or so before you flip it to flower so it can just kind of establish yeah. itself and it'll grow a little bit. And, um, yeah, then you'll be able to get a nice healthy clone off it. And you can still take clones relatively safely up until the end of the first week of flower. So even if you had to give it a bit longer, you could do that. But the one caveat I'll put on that is if that clone doesn't root, you won't know till about... It takes about two weeks for a clone to really show you whether it's going to root or not. So if after about two weeks, if your conditions are good and it hasn't rooted, it's probably not going to root. So at that point, you'd be in week three of flower, and now it's too late yeah. to take a clone, in my opinion. So it's a bit risky doing it, but you know you can do it. Yeah, and I guess, well, you just want to take enough clones initially so that your success rate in them rooting is increased, right? Yeah, that's it. I, I'm a bit paranoid. I still take like two or three clones of everything because I'm, 
I feel if I took one and it just didn't, you know what I mean? Like you just don't, yeah, you don't have that spot. <laughs> oh, damn it. Of course, the one time I only cut one. Oh, it's happened to me once and I lost <laughs> my most beloved plant, literally. So. Less learned. Yep, yep. And yep. I, I took three clones and none of them rooted. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Maybe I should be doing four or five. A hundred percent. And I... And- Especially like in the climate that we live in, with the illegalities involved, you know, it, it, the reward understandably has to be there. So that doesn't mean that our growers have to grow lots of crappy weed. Let's lo- let them let them grow less really good weed and and pay like what it's due. Yeah, that's it. And I think um, you also need to not not abuse the medical side of things in the sense that I know so many people and they eventually someone will like start throwing the term medicine around and yeah. and then using that as almost like a form of like I need this for cheaper because it's it's one thing to be like giving someone some you know weed or if you want to call it medicine in this sense at a discounted rate because like you feel like they really need it and they can't afford it but it's another thing for like what I hear about which is mostly people who just kind of start to throw the term around and be like oh and then use that as like a segue into like can you hear that cop car uh, yeah i can it's like right out from my house that's an ammo <laughs> it's gone now cool yeah and so people use that oh fuck off sorry and They're so good. People, people use that as a segue to try to you know get stuff for cheaper like you know i, I literally got told two days ago by a grower I know who grows he grows really good organic stuff and um, he gives it away super cheap in my opinion like crazy cheap like like he's barely I think he's probably just covering his bare minimums um, yeah and he was saying like yeah like he was giving this girl like one ounce a month and then all of a sudden she needs two and it's just like he he like agreed to do it at first but then he just realized that like you know she would then just go and sell it to a friend who's yeah. like just like you know just willing to pay like good prices for it and it's just like yeah that's kind of bit yeah it's a shame I mean there's always going to be people out there looking to rip you off wherever they can and yeah I mean some of some of the the rest of us kind of have to prop it up it's a shame. Well, I guess one thing I was thinking about, because I actually, I, um, I was around at a friend's house today and uh, the um, Canna Koala and the Oz Canna Lady, I don't know if you're aware of those guys from Instagram, were there. And um, they're, they're bring, going to start bringing in some CBD isolate. Yeah. And, I mean, hemp produce isolate it's your opinion on that. I mean, is it is it any different from CBD isolate that would be produced from a cannabis plant? I honestly haven't read enough into it, but from the briefings I have read, yeah, it seems to suggest that um, CBD derived from cannabis would be much better because, assuming you're not talking about like ninety nine percent, like you know, like like stuff that looks like crystal meth, basically. Because, yeah. um, you know, at that point, it's all the same. You know, it really doesn't even yeah. matter where it's come from. It's fucking yeah, right. 99% CBD. Um, yeah. But if it's like some kind of extract, like a dab type thing, 
I yeah. think from a plant would be way better because we know that the uh, you know all the the other components of the plant, such as you know the flavonoids and the terpenes, um, yeah. all of these things synergize with the cannabinoids. So yeah. it it makes sense that you know a THC based weed, which has got the right THC, uh, the right cannabinoid profile and flavonoids. Yeah, I think that'd be better. And I think that um, who is it? CBD crew, the good ones. It's like there's like CBD crew and CBD seeds, and one of them's like a fucking joke, and one of them's like Shanti Barber, and that one's like legit. But anyway, yep. those guys offer a strain called CBD Divine, and it's apparently uh-huh. like the first strain that's derived from a cannabis plant, not not hemp, that has yep. like zero percent THC and like sixteen percent CBD, and it's got like yeah, well, and it looks like a cannabis plant, and it's like apparently got pretty good terps. So I could imagine yep. that the extract would be good. Um, I smoked some really nice. Wow, there were the two CBD strains at the farm last year. There was some Swiss. And maybe it was I can't remember it was a spider web which was like something from from Charlotte's web. Yeah, and I mean they were they were delicious. One of them had a super low CBD, super low THC, and one had a kind of higher CBD and medium THC. And they were they were really lovely. Like the taste, the smell profile were absolutely delicious. But the buds themselves were like were considerably different to like normal cannabis buds too in that they kind of they didn't have as much structure to them that could have been a part of the grow as well so yeah okay I mean I've got a one to one CBD strain I grow but it, it looks like regular weed but I think at one to one level it probably would yeah um, yeah, yeah I, I haven't really seen what the end product of what they're making this the hemp extractions look like like whether there's any appreciable i mean there'd probably be a few calyxes like individually stacked on top of each other but yeah yeah but i mean just as a quick note i still wasn't aware that you were able to import cbd i thought there was still some weird like little restriction about it yeah well as far as i i think because i think it's still technically classified as a poison Right. Well, I think that's the way they do it. Where it's like, because it's like you can get prescribed a poison because pretty much every drug is listed as a poison. Yeah, yeah. But you can't import poisons. See, I wasn't wondering if, uh, and this is with no research backing it up, but if it wasn't to do with the change from the foods uh, for Australia, New Zealand, reclassifying hemp. I don't know if that changed some of the uh, availability. If it's all hemp derived. Yeah, actually, I mean, in the sense that, yeah, that that actually probably works. Um, I just think that you might have to derive it, you might have to make it here. You know what I mean? Like, you just, just press it here. Yeah, yeah. But I don't which, know. Which, I mean, it's going to, it's if that's the case, like, if that is the workaround, that now that hemp is, you can consume it, so now you can start to make hemp-based extraction things. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in terms of that market here. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I don't know if it'll be game-changing. You know, I think it'll be game-changing for like you know epileptic kids and stuff like that. Yeah. But I just I always have to remind people that the reason why I grow a one-to-one strain is because as far as we can see. Um, one-to-one seems to be arguably the most therapeutic ratio. Yeah. And the reason for that is because 
if you look at all the the different symptoms and spectrums of disorders that cannabis treats, it appears that THC tends to treat the large majority of them, and it's only actually a very small amount that are exclusively treated by CBD. So what that means is there's only a small amount of diseases where you absolutely need CBD, but the largest amount of them actually benefit from having both THC and CBD. Um, so yeah, so like for example, the real epileptic kids, those are one of the ones who exclusively benefit from the CBD. But most yep. people, I think they actually don't get benefits for most. Like I'm pretty sure like the glaucoma people, for example, like you actually, you need the THC um, more so than the CBD in that case. Yeah, and, so, I, and I think even in, in some of the cases of kids with um, with epilepsy and things like that, I think further into their treatment, like years down the line, they're finding that they're having to up the THC a little bit as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that they're, it, it's really synergistic together. So yeah, so yeah that's something which... And that, that plays into it all, you know. Like in my opinion, I'm really really quite skeptical of the current medical scene we have because it's it's like a it seems like a big farce to me you know it's like, oh it's scary and um and i'm i'm literally counting on the you know i guess the government so to speak to increase the penalties on growing after the whole scheme's kind of fully rolled out so to speak in that they'll do exactly like what they did in america where it, they'll say anyone who needs it now has access. Everyone else yeah. who's still growing is just a criminal. Yeah, and even worse criminal potentially. Yeah, like just doing it for the money. So Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so I in my opinion, like you've really gotta be steadfast in the right to grow your own has to be like the number one thing. Like if you don't have the right to grow it for yourself, I just yeah. I don't think I would compromise for that because even in even in the states, you know, we can both attest to this. Even in a mark, even in a place where you can grow yourself, yeah. there's still so much issues with you know it not being grown correctly, like in like a medical totally. sense. Yeah, and so it's yeah. like if it was exclusively up to like Marlboro or whatever, what hope in hell do you have that they give a shit about your health? Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's pretty crazy, man. Like I still just get blown away at like how our laws are shaping up here but i think we're going to have to go through like a, a kind of a dark period where it's going to be kind of like that and it's going to be mad control before actual decriminalization and recreational use comes in but there's going to i think that i think we're in store for like a few years of dark crappy weird reform after reform of bizarre cannabis law yeah, and, and I mean, I think I probably agree with that. And the interesting part about it is like how we referenced earlier, there's almost like two sides to the spectrum. There's like the political side of it and then there's just the actual kind of um, underground production side of it in that we could, for example, as a whole community, just as a hypothetical, be like, you know what? No one's going to try to be active in campaigning for law change. Instead, everyone's just going to try to focus on growing the dankest weed possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. or, or you could do the opposite. And it's like yeah. ne- neither one of those would be... I mean, I think the first situation would probably be better. Like, you know, like it's really illegal and you've got good weed as opposed to having it legal, but everyone's just smoking PGRs. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but you know what I mean? So in my mind, it's like, well... 
I I accept that there's that political instability, which essentially means like you know all your work could be for nothing. So it's like that's why I think it's like you've got to push that other end of the coin so hard because it's it, it, what if it's just like the other way around where it's like we get to the point where weed is so dank and everyone's smoking dank weed that it's just like fuck this needs to be legal like and so you know I think that's what might be what pushes it over in the end yeah like maybe and I mean I think it would be a lot more complex and I think a big thing would be labor getting in power to be honest um yeah but but even then you know like that's that's just like a minor point but I think yeah like I've always thought that and that's a part of the reason why I breed it's because it's like I just thought yeah like if everyone could smoke dank weed hopefully they would then have the knowledge and the willpower to say no to PGRs and then that's like how you get it out and you could also get good flavors into the community so yeah it's an interesting one but yeah you got to push that side of the coin always I mean Australia's still caught up with some really bad um preconceived notions of, of weed smokers as well, you know, that it's still got a really bad rap that they managed to beat down in, in a lot of parts of the US, you know, that whole reefer madness. Um, it, it really sunk in, in like in my parents' generation, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty hardcore. Whereas in the States, you see people of my parents' generation, even later in like, I mean, California is different, but you're starting to see it around the uh, all around America now where people later in life are starting to really break down their preconceived notions about cannabis. Yeah, totally, hey. It's just, I just feel like it's a bit of a weird statement to make, but I feel like on the whole, the older generation of Australia are more conservative than the older generation in America. Yeah, certainly. I think that's like I mean, on the outlying end of the spectrum, definitely not. You know, there's definitely some really fucking conservative outliers in America. But if you look at the general masses, and so yeah, yeah, it's really one of those problems where it's like you hate to say it, but it's like we just need the old people to die off, and then (laughs) like you know what I mean? Like obviously not literally, but um, yeah. In in the sense that you know, we will see that we'll see that change come in, that generational change come in in our lifetime. So you know, it's it's that's like twenty. 25 years away though you know so hopefully that's not how far away cannabis reform is yeah it'll be like a trickle down thing where like you'll see one person in parliament start to really support it and then you know and then it just starts to trickle onwards and then the others lose their numbers yeah and and that's you know typically how it's happened around the world so and it and it's playing out all around the world so it's you know they could surprise me and it could could really happen quicker yeah, that'd be that'd be nice. Yep. Okay. All right, man. Cool. Sweet. Well, I reckon we can call that a call that a, a podcast and a podcast. So there you have it. Nice and short one. Big thank you to my homies at the Herbalized Podcast as well as all of their sponsors. To our sponsors, 420 Australia and Organic Gardening Solutions. And to everyone for listening. See you.